You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, the show's getting out a little late today. We apologize for that. Hopefully, you're listening whenever it's convenient for you. Um, We are, at some point, uh, Aaron, going to be in our new studio. Uh, We just love it here so much, so we haven't wanted to leave. Chatter is where we are. is what we're doing right now. We are squatting. Chatter and Friendship Heights, corner of Wisconsin and Jennifer Streets Northwest. Tony's podcast studio in a restaurant that has the best setup to watch football during fall weekends. Get in here all day tomorrow. The food's great. Lots of cold beer and big screens. Um, great place for a college football Saturday, Saturday night, NFL Sunday, Sunday night, etc. Monday night football is great too. And how about that Thursday night game last night, which I'll get to here momentarily. Yeah. The show, the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call now. Call before Sunday and you'll save big. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Tell them I told you to call. I promise you won't regret it. More on how much you'll save coming up in a few minutes. It's the bye week. It's an early bye week. No mid-season grades, no second-half predictions, none of the bye week cliche sports talk radio stuff. Not because we don't like to do that stuff, but it's just too early at this point. The Redskins next are... Next week. Next week. <laughs> next week. Well, maybe. Next <laughs> next week, at least, the rest of the league is a full four weeks into the season. Um, look, the Redskins are 2-1. and one. You really, as a fan, couldn't ask for much more. They got a dead-on-arrival opening day opponent in Arizona. So far through three weeks, the worst team in football are the Cardinals, incapable of scoring with Sam Bradford at quarterback. As an aside, by the way, I was thinking about this as I was thinking about the Redskins' first three games and looking at what the Arizona game sort of really was. Um, But Sam Bradford, you know, Josh Rosen's going to come in and take his spot uh, this week and get the start. I think he's done. I think his chances have run out in terms of legitimate, you know, decent team starting quarterback opportunities. I think he's done as a starter. I do think he becomes, I don't think he's with Arizona next year, but I think he ends up as a backup somewhere. You know, you think about Bradford, he's just been a guy. Like, he's been in, uh, he's been a very accurate thrower, but his health has always been an issue. He's not a creator. He's not a playmaker. I just have a feeling that his days are numbered as a starter, but you might be right. Somebody might take a shot on him, and I think as, as a backup, uh, you could do worse. Anyway, the Redskins are 2-1. and one. The Cardinals were served up on a platter. Um, the first half of the Packer game was spectacular, uh, and, and, and enough, enough to get a win over uh, a team that had a wounded starting quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. And I think we're going to find that the Colts – probably are better than we thought. You know, they had a chance to win in Philadelphia last week. Uh, They certainly had a chance to win their opener when their tight end fumbled as they were going in for the game-winning score against Cincinnati. Perhaps the Colts were underrated on defense in particular um, with, you know, clearly a first-rate quarterback on offense. But if you were looking for an optimistic feeling going into the early bye week, I think you should have it. There are concerns But there are legitimate positives. The defense is better, much better, and it's going to continue to get better, not just this year, but next year also. And now the New Orleans Monday night game, a week from Monday night, is a big early season game in the NFC. The Skins will be 2-1. The Saints could be 3-1, no worse than 2-2. They're in New York this week against the Giants. It's a rematch of one of what really turned out to be one of the games of the year in 2017. 
You know, the 15-point comeback by Drew Brees and the Saints, you know, at home against a bumbling, stumbling Redskin team in that fourth quarter um, that had their MVP of the season to date, Chris Thompson, uh, out uh, and, and would be lost for the year in that game. They had a defense ripe for the picking at that point because their only good players were lost to injury, and that happened all too often, not only last year, but you know, in the years preceding it, the defense just never held up. But it was a game, if you recall, to get to 5-5 five and five before a Thanksgiving night game four nights later against the Giants that would have put them right in the thick of the race. But instead... It turned into a back-breaking and, for all intents and purposes, a season-ending loss. So next Monday night, the next chance we see the Redskins in a game, it's a chance at revenge, a chance for what would be a significant early season win in the NFC. And I'll take that as a Redskin fan. Early October, Monday night football, a game that will feel big, and if they win it, could be a springboard to something bigger. So, you know, here we are, the bye week, two and one, early bye week, and all is well. I think there's more to be optimistic about than to be pessimistic about. Um, I'm not crowning them champions, but I am saying, as I said before the season started, I think this is a team that will have meaningful December football games, a chance to play in games that could mean a playoff berth or, you know, if they lose them, out of the playoffs. Uh, for this team right now, this organization, I don't know if you can ask for any more. Um, it's probably not a bad time for a bye week, even though there will be another time, I'm sure, in November where, where they would have loved to have had a bye week. Um, but the schedule is the schedule. And did you know, did you know this? I guarantee you, Aaron, you did not know this. And I bet most of you listening did not know the following. That in 1993... The NFL tried two bye weeks. Two of them. Did you know that? I did not know that. Two bye weeks in 1993. It was a one-year thing. The one bye week had been in effect for, I think, three years at that point. I think it started in 90, and then it was 91, 92. In 93, the league thought that, hey, we're going to play the 16 games over 18 weeks to generate more revenue. It would be another Sunday of regular season football. Um, the teams pushed back on it after that season, saying they felt like two, two bye weeks was too disruptive to sort of their weekly routines, and, th- and thus it reverted to one bye the following season. 1993, tr- it's true. Two bye weeks. The Redskins had one this weekend, all right, prior to week four, and then they also had a second bye prior to week eight. Doing this... First half of the season. Two in the first half of the season. That was the year uh, Richie Pettibone was the head coach, and they went 4-12. and 12. One and done for Richie that year, uh, who was one of the greatest defensive coordinators in NFL history. I uh, want to get to the Vikings-Rams game last night. Speaking of defense, uh, lack thereof, uh, certainly on the Minnesota side. But I want to get to the thing that consumed many of you on Twitter as you responded to a tweet that I sent out last night after the game that read, Minnesota's defense allowed 556 yards and 38 points. Kirk's fault. Most of this (laughs) is tongue placed firmly in cheek. You have to understand that. Some of you take it so seriously. You get so angry at my my fondness for Kirk Cousins and my, my constant defense 
of Kirk Cousins. But I actually um, enjoy when you engage me in the debate over Kirk Cousins. It's fun. Uh, I enjoy it. I hope most of you do, and I hope most of you don't take it so seriously. I, I will say this, though. I am steadfast in my belief that uh, of what he was when he was here and what he will be there in Minnesota. And last night, to me, was a microcosm of what his career in Washington was like. And not for the reasons many of you think. Yes, he fumbled late in the game and ended any chance Minnesota had of going down the field, scoring a touchdown, and forcing overtime. But that's not why last night, in my view, is a microcosm of what his career in Washington was like. From my perspective, last night, his team was pathetically bad on defense, as it was here much of the time he was the starting quarterback. He had zero running game to slow down a fierce Rams defensive pass rush, which meant he had to think quickly, read the field quickly, throw quickly, throw accurately, or his team would be completely run out of the building. That's why I thought it was a microcosm. It was a total replica of what his time in Washington was. Because if he didn't play well during 2015 through 2018, more times than not, the Redskins had no chance of winning. And last night in the Coliseum against the best team in football, the Viking defense, which for whatever reason this year is non-existent, I have no idea what's happened to it. Everson Griffin Griffin's is a, a big, big miss. Yeah. He's a big miss. But their defense was bad last week against Buffalo. It was bad in week two against Lambeau, uh, at Lambeau against the Packers. It was a sieve defensively, a doormat for what is a high-octane Sean McVay, you know, Goff, Cooks, Gurley, Cup, the whole group in Los Angeles. They got run over start to finish, and the only chance the Vikings had was if its quarterback performed at a very high level, and he did, which is what happened many times here. The defense was terrible, there was no running game, and if he didn't put up those big stat-stuffing numbers that many of you describe them as, they would have been beaten badly, and that's what would have happened last night. Yes, Diggs and Thielen are really good. He's got some weapons on offense, but no running game right now. None. Dalvin Cook, 10 carries, 20 yards. You know who was the leading rusher for Minnesota last night? As Bruce would say, Kurt Cousins was the leading rusher. All right? He wasn't throwing quick to Doxon and quick in Seattle like last year. He's throwing to Thielen and Diggs. It's a big help. Uh, but it was his ability primarily to read it, to react to it, to get it out quickly that gave Minnesota a chance to move the ball up and down the field for much of the night, 422 yards passing out of, and I think they had 35 or 40 yards rushing. All right. Yes, he fumbled at the end, but. That's not Kirk's M.O., all right? Fumbling or a pick at the end is not the M.O. of Kirk, all right? It's part of it, but so is his 11 fourth-quarter comebacks between 2015 and 2018, which was good for fourth in the league. And if, they had a, if, if he had played on a team that had a kicker, he would have been second in the league in fourth-quarter comebacks. So to describe him as a stat-stuffing choker is to ignore the facts. 
if he had a kicker, if he had a running game, if he had a defense, his record as a starter would have been much better here. And his record in Minnesota so far through four weeks, based on his play, would have been better. He didn't play well last week. All right? He didn't. Um, He makes mistakes. He's not elite. Never said he was. Never. He's very good, though. And he gives the Vikings right now with no running game and no defense, just like he gave the Redskins with no running game and no defense, a chance to win. The game was a terrific game. It was highly entertaining. Wow, does Goff look good. Goff looks good in those receivers. Why didn't the Redskins think about Cooks? What was the price for Cooks? It was a first rounder. Okay. I think. I'm pretty sure it was. I don't think it was a first rounder. You might be right about that. Um, the Rams look really good right now. Through four games, they look like the real deal. They really do. You know, usually uh, three, four, five weeks into the season, you got a couple of teams, and I know people will probably identify Kansas City. It, it was, it as was the other. a, it was a first for Cooks and a fourth. Wow. Yeah. Um, I think the Rams right now with their weapons, um, it's scary how yeah. good they can be, and. Look, they are very talented defensively. They were hurting a little bit last night in the secondary, but their front four, their front seven is outstanding. And the only way you can survive that really is to either run the football to keep them off balance with a balanced attack, which Minnesota couldn't do last night, or to have a quarterback that gets it out quickly, that reads it and gets it out quickly, which is why Minnesota was able to score 31 points last night and move the ball uh, on the uh, most of their drive and convert third downs, 50% of them. Um, I just was very, I've been very impressed uh, with the Rams, and last night was really the, the first opportunity to see them start to finish. And Sean McVay um, is, is doing an incredible job. And, and you know, I, I, go, I go with what Cooley, you know, I love giving him credit for this because he made a lot of calls and has made a lot of calls over the years. Um, but him saying in 2015 when Sean was just getting involved in play calling, saying, that guy, none of you have ever heard of him, uh, but he's going to be a head coach, and it's going to happen quickly. Um, that was uh, identifying talent, and Sean McVay is talented. By the way, did, did you see the news that came out this week that he has a clock coordinator yes. on his staff? Yeah. And, and, and it showed at the end of the first half, it was used. Yeah, and Minnesota did not handle the end right. of the first half well. And yes, part of that is on the quarterback, but really in that particular situation, that was on the coach. Let's bring in Trevor Maddich, who I love talking college football with and have enjoyed that over the years on 980. But the good news is now doing a podcast, we can also talk a little bit about the Redskins because he's done such a great job on NBC Sports Washington's postgame show with B. Mitch and and the whole gang, you know, Chick in, in years past and, and Julie and, and company now. Um, uh, I'll get, we'll get to the Redskins in a moment. Let's talk some college football Through this first quarter of the season, do you see Bama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State as a clear cut above the rest of the field? I I do. Uh, Although Clemson, really it's a work in progress at quarterback now, Kevin, because their veteran senior, Kelly Bryant, who just lost his starting job to the true freshman Trevor Lawrence, he left the team. And so now you've got a, a true freshman with a big arm but limited experience that they're assuming will continue to grow and won't get hurt. So there's an asterisk by Clemson that Trevor Lawrence does continue to grow and that he stays healthy, and they're not down to their third-string option all of a sudden. But given that, yeah, those are, the, those are the four teams to beat right now. Is Alabama a cut above the other three? Alabama, a slight cut above. Right now they look completely unstoppable. 
But, Kevin, when you look at what it requires to compete with Alabama, I think that Ohio State and Georgia have what it takes. First of all, you need to be big and powerful enough to be able to stand up to the physical pounding. Then you need a pass rush because you can't allow Tua to stand back in the pocket and just pick you apart. And then you've got to have a quarterback and big receivers that can go out and and complete passes even when they're covered. And I think that both Ohio State and Georgia fit the bill with all of those things. And so those are two teams that can stand toe-to-toe with Alabama at least for a while and have a fair chance in a relatively fair fight. But what really hurts with Alabama if you're an opponent is that all of a sudden you have to completely change the way you approach the game. In the past, you had a powerful running game from the Tide and a quarterback that didn't scare you down the field. Right. So defensively, you could crowd the line of scrimmage and just take your lumps if they complete one over the top once in a while. Now, you've got to pick your poison. Because with Tua, if you come up and crowd the line, he'll torch you over the top at will. If you drop back the safeties to limit the big plays, they'll grind you to a pulp at the line of scrimmage, and you better be ready to score 40 or 50 points in order to win. And that doesn't happen too often against this Bama defense. Um, You know, I I was not, and I think we had this conversation last year, I I thought Ohio State the last few years was really limited with JT Barrett at quarterback because I just didn't think that he was very good at throwing the ball and stretching the field. He was a terrific, you know, running quarterback and, and playmaker, but he couldn't throw the ball. Well, it looks like Haskins can really throw the ball. Um, yet, you know, TCU, I thought Ohio State was going to be great defensively, and TCU sort of moved the ball up and down the field against them. Is, is tomorrow night, and, and I'm going to be there in State College because I've got a freshman uh, at Penn State, and I'm, I'm heading up there to see the game tomorrow night. Is tomorrow night a potential loss for the Buckeyes? Well, first of all, is that why you sent your freshman to Penn State because you wanted to get tickets for this game? <laughs> oh, he couldn't get it. He could not get me tickets. I had to get him off. Uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to get him off StubHub. Trust me. Oh, that, wait, is he going to be there though in the whiteout? Yeah, he's going to be there, and I'm going to be there too. I'm going to be oh, enjoying you're be it. Dressed all in white. Well, I think it's the only way you can attend, right? Uh, yeah, they might not let you in the door. I tell you, I I've been to a whiteout at Penn State against Ohio State night game, hundred and ten thousand plus, and the energy there, Kevin, is. It's, it might be the best that I've ever seen in really? college football. And it's not just the noise. It's the energy. You, you know how when you stand in front of a speaker at a rock concert, you can feel the sound waves pulsing through your body. It's a physical, palpable thing. Well, at Penn State in the whiteout, you can feel that. But the energy beyond just the sound waves, you can feel pulsating in your body. It's an amazing experience. I can't wait to hear what you say about e- it. Even more, and I, I got a chance to do this a few years back. In fact, I, I want to say that I think I, I saw you down there. I got a chance to go to an LSU night game against Bama a few years back, and I will tell you that that is a top five sporting event experience for me. I, I We got there for a 6 o'clock kick at 2 o'clock and felt like we were eight hours too late for the party. I mean, it was (laughs) that was a scene. Are you telling me that that, that tomorrow night's even more energetic than that for a night game against Bama? I like the Penn State atmosphere better, although you are right. A night game at LSU has to be on the bucket list of every sports fan. The thing about it is that they start tailgating and partying early Mm -hmm. in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and then they just keep on a roll, and by the time everybody gets into the stadium for the night game, they're all pretty pretty well lubricated. And what you don't want to do is walk onto the field and light a match. 
<laughs> because no. the air, I think, is combustible at that point from the exhaling. So, but LSU is just, that's another one that's on the, Auburn is another one on the bucket list because of the War Eagle pregame tradition. Right. Where they take an actual eagle that's bigger than me. And this eagle, they turn it loose on the sideline. And it flies round and round and round the stadium. And then they drop a little tasty morsel on the 50-yard line, and that eagle sees that morsel, and it dive bombs it and just grabs it with his talons and shreds it and eats it. And the crowd goes Mm. wild. I'll tell you, to me, that's the most awesome pregame tradition in college football. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of great ones, but that's the best. Isn't college football, Trevor, I mean, you love it so much, and I love it so much. I've said many times, even during the the height of Redskins season, being involved so much with everything Redskins, that sometimes, to me, Saturdays are better than Sundays. They're different than Sundays. NFL is king. Those are the best players in the world at the height of their capabilities, and I get all that. But college football still has a... As, as, I don't want to say a facade, but it has an aura of purity among the players, if not the finances of the game when you really dig into it. It has the passion of the fans that, that compare to most NFL teams in a way that's favorable to college. I mean, if, if the Raiders lose to the Chiefs and you're a huge Raiders fan, ah, it's going to ruin your week, right? Yeah. But if Auburn loses to Alabama and you're an Auburn fan, it will wreck you for a year, for the entire year, it's... Alabama fans will, will dog you in the grocery store and at church and everywhere they see you because of that win. That when you go back a few years ago to Auburn beating Alabama with the kick six, oh, yeah. where they got a, a, feel, a long field goal that Auburn fielded because it was short in the back of the end zone, took back for the game-winning touchdown at the end of the game. That Auburn fans will hold over Alabama fans for generations. And I think it's that passion of the fans that make college football what it is. That doesn't diminish the NFL in any way, but it just makes college football so much fun. It's so great. So let's go, before you and I both went down this path, because we love it so much, my question to you is, do you think Trace McSorley and Penn State at home tomorrow night uh, can win this game? They're certainly capable offensively, aren't they? Yeah, they can. They have got a lot of playmakers, some young guys that have really stepped up. And you're right about TCU and Ohio State. TCU has some really fast guys, and if you could get them the ball in space, they cause some damage. Yep. And that happened against Ohio State. Oregon State did that to them in the opener, for goodness sake. Oregon State had touchdown plays of 49 yards, 78 yards, and 80 yards. Yeah, I forgot about now, you that. you got to figure that they, they fixed some of those problems with the safeties. But at the same time, it's not that the defensive – secondary of Ohio State is impregnable at this time of the season. They've got an experienced quarterback. I mean, you've got to look at raw NFL talent, and Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State has the edge. But in terms of experience in these kinds of games, it's Trace McSorley at Penn State. At running back, everybody thought that the running game would fall off because Saquon Barkley went off to the New York Giants. But Miles Sanders is a really good back, and he's lighting people up. Uh, there's great. a lot of reasons why this offense, certainly of Penn State, should be able to score a lot of points. The, the question will be the defense, because teams have been able to run on Penn State, and Ohio State's running game, I think, is the best running game that they probably will face all year long. So, to me, that's where the game will be won and lost. Can Penn State do something about that downhill pounding? Before we move to the Redskins, um, one other thing um, college football-related. 
LSU's been missing a coordinator and a quarterback for so long. Um, and watching them win and come back against Auburn, I thought that, that their quarterback, Burrow, the transfer, looked like an aggressive quarterback, down-the-field thrower, not always accurate, not always great, but that the whole mindset offensively has changed at LSU, and I think that will benefit them and that they could be a player this season. Do you agree or disagree? I totally agree, Kevin. I mean, I went to Baton Rouge as part of my off-season college tour where I drive around the country, my own car, my own expense. I pay for the gas. I pay for the hotels. I just visit, visit programs, and I'll put in 12,000, 14,000 miles some years doing this. And when I went to Baton Rouge, what I saw was what you just said, that this is a team that is capable of competing for a conference championship and maybe a national championship if – that one missing piece of the puzzle is in place, and that is quality quarterback play. So in comes Joe Burrow, the transfer from Ohio State. And what he has done has been nothing short of transformational. It's not his numbers. People look at the box scores and see that, like right now, he's completing 49% of his passes, therefore he's not very good. Uh, But that's not true, because what he's done is elevated the quarterbacking of the quarterback position at LSU. In other words, all the little things that don't have anything to do with throwing the ball, getting into the right play at the line of scrimmage, getting out of a bad play at the line of scrimmage, throwing the ball away if it looks like there's risk at certain points where you don't need to take that risk, and then throwing it into tight coverage if you do. And that's what you saw when you talked about the Auburn game. When they needed to come back late in the game, all of a sudden Joe Burrow uncorked it. And he started throwing the ball down the field, and he made some terrific throws to bring them back to win that game. Well, that was when he had to do that. Other times, his percentage, completion percentage is lower because you know he didn't need to, to take those risks, and so he didn't. He just threw the ball away. And I think that the, the concept of the art of quarterbacking has returned to the LSU huddle, and I think his completion percentage will be just fine in the games that he needs it to be. Yeah, they have some big games and some tough games coming up. All right, let's get to the Redskins. Uh, early bye week, through three we- th- through three weeks, you would describe their season and their potential moving forward as as what? Promising, promising. Now they they had a real hiccup against the Colts. It was astonishing. I mean, we all had whiplash watching what was going on with that game after the opener against Car- the Cardinals, where they looked so good, but. What's promising about this team more than any other single thing is that the newcomers on the defensive front are all that they were cracked up to be. I mean, the, the rookies and the second-year guys for the, mostly. So you talk about the guys from Alabama. You've got rookie first-round draft choice, Deron Payne, defensive tackle. Last year's first-round draft choice from Alabama, Jonathan Allen. You've got uh, a second-year guy in, in Matt Ioannidis who is also starting at defensive end, kid out of Temple. You've got a rookie draft choice this year from Virginia Tech, Tim Settle. You've got all these young guys that have infused not only physical capability to stop the run like they couldn't do last year, but also a mentality that they refuse to get pushed around. They refuse to lose. They refuse to practice poorly. That's that mentality that comes in from Nick Saban coach players, from players from Virginia Tech, programs like that that know how to do it. That's not to say the Redskins didn't know before, just to say that when you add that attitude to go with the physical talent, 
you've got things that are going on that are really positive because the offense can't perform in a way that's anything less than their best in practice when they're facing defensive linemen like that or they'll they'll the D lineman will wipe the field with them, the practice field. So the whole team gets elevated because of that. And the promising nature of this team, I think, is embodied in the attitude of those new, young, fierce, talented defensive linemen. God, I always agree with you. Um, and I think that is the, the reason uh, that the glass is half full is the, the young defensive talent. And you know what, Trevor, last year there wasn't Deron Payne, but if John Allen and Matt Ioannidis and Mason Foster, and, and if they had been healthy defensively, the results of the season would have been better. Because if you recall that, you know, Arrowhead on that Monday night as a 2 and one team, they weren't a bad defense at that point. They were, they were starting to look very much improved but then the injuries came and they were the wretched defense that they had been for the the previous three or four years last year could have been different had they stayed healthy on defense and I think we're starting to see that this year yeah no you're right about that last year was an epic injury season for the Redskins I mean epic for the number of starters and key backups that ended ended the season on injured reserve but part of the injury problem for the defense last year was the injury problem on the offensive line Yes. They at one point they had three guys I think that were not supposed to be starters. Four. Two of them, yeah, four, yeah, two of those guys or three they signed off the street. <laughs> yeah, remember that before the were, Dallas game, right? It was it was just crazy. And the problem there is that you can't control the ball, you can't control the clock, you can't string together drives very well because the offensive line just isn't up to the task. And so, what does that mean for the defense? If they do get a stop, they come off the field, they drink half a glass of water on the bench, <laughs> and they got to throw the rest away because they're sprinting back onto the field because the offense just got stopped. And so the, the, that was a, basically a perfect storm of horrible for the Redskins defense with their own injuries and the injuries on the O-line so they didn't get support on the other side of the ball. Hey, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. I've always enjoyed our conversations and hope we can do it again soon. Kevin, I hope so. Thanks for having me on. I want to thank Window Nation. Uh, they were the first to reach out and support this new podcast venture. Harley and Aaron have been friends for a long time. Uh, they supported me on 980 for over a decade, and I can't thank them enough for having my back right now. If you like this podcast and you're thinking about buying new windows, I promise you that you'll be thrilled if you call Window Nation. They will take care of you. Halloween's next month, Thanksgiving's two months away, and we're three months away from Christmas. What does this mean when it comes to windows? Well, winter is coming, and so now is the time you need to start acting when it comes to winterizing your home with brand new Window Nation windows. If you wait, you may be too late to replace those old drafty windows before the nasty winter hits. Call Window Nation today and save 50% off all style of windows. That's 50% off any style, any size, any color. Half off, it's like paying for the front of the house and getting the back for free. There's no minimum or maximum purchase. You start with the worst windows or you can replace them all. Just don't wait until it's too late. Window Nation is making it super easy right now. For the balance of the month, you'll get 50% off all styles of windows plus no down payment. No payments, no interest for over one full year. But wait, there's more. If you purchase a house of windows this week before Sunday, Window Nation will pay your utility bills until your new windows are installed. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com by this Sunday. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Please tell them that I told you to call. 
Let's bring in Mike Jones, who is a columnist for the USA Today, has been doing that for about a year. Of course, all of us here remember him as the Redskins uh, beat reporter at the Washington Post. Mike's a good friend. Mike and I do the Channel 4 Redskins Showtime together, uh, Showtime show together a lot. And um, I, 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 you know I, I've always enjoyed your writing and, and your coverage of the NFL. I know it's different for you these days, and now it's been about a year since you've gotten off a beat and onto the league. Do you like it more than, than just covering one team? Um, I like being able to bounce around and tell good stories. There are times that um, it was difficult with the Redskins when it was the same old thing over and over and over again. It was <laughs> yeah. difficult to remain engaged. Um, obviously, there's always news to report, so that helps. But um, that could be kind of tiring and exasperating at times. Um, I do miss the familiarity of, like, any time I need to know something, I knew exactly who I could go to in that locker room and that organization to find out what I needed to know. And now you kind of helicopter in and, uh, you know, different places and it's all about you're starting building trying to build relationships at 32 different places um so that you know takes some time um but uh i I do it's a freshness it's a different kind of approach uh there you know the shoulder sprains of every player in the league don't matter um you know (laughs) right uh, you know that can get tedious yeah yeah is trent williams going to play this week or not based on his shoulder being sprained yeah i I can yeah. yeah Um, yeah, you're in no, Los An- you're in Los Angeles, so you were right. there to cover Vikings Rams last night, which really was a wildly entertaining game. Um, you know, you know that every single time uh, the, the number eight throws a pass, he's going to be compared to you know Alex Smith here. Um, I started the show today, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because you know it, it ends up being sort of you know uh, a, a little bit nauseating for some people, which I care about, and then sometimes I don't care about. But I just always find it laughable that people will look at the last play and not realize that they would have had zero chance to even be close in that game if it hadn't right. been for the way he had played the first you know three and three quarters quarters. No, exactly. Um, and as it, that game, for much of it, I think because of the second quarter, the Rams' second quarter, and the way that they were able to score so fast, it felt like a blowout at times. But then you would look at the score and you're like, oh, wow, here come the Rams again. And, you know, Cousins is gunning it here and gunning it there and moving his team down the field. And it was still only a one-possession game um, for as impressive as Jared Goff and the Rams' offense was, and it, even despite some of those really dominant defensive stops that the Rams got, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings were not going away, and they still had a chance there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know, every, like you said, everybody looks at the fumble, and, you know, I did not realize this stat until last night that Kirk Cousins has 32 fumbles since 2015, which is the second most behind Russell Wilson in the league. And um, that's like kind of surprising, but at the same time, it's not all of his fault that Tom Compton gave up seven pressures and that another starting lineman gave up eight pressures. And then uh, Riley Reef gave up four pressures Um, that that there's only so much quarterback can do, but he gave his team a chance uh, to win. They were in it in the thick of things. They kept battling and he threw for 400 yards 
and you know these touchdowns and no interceptions it still was an outstanding game and there's nobody with the Vikings who's saying uh why did we get this guy what um, what you know, what has happened to them defensively everson griffin i know is having these issues and he's a big big time you know d- defensive uh, stopper for them but they have been horrible here defensively through their first four games yeah you know it's really really interesting um when you look at that and this defense you know even statistically they're still 10th in the league so that's good but then you see some of these plays and i think some of it is schematic i don't know why in the world they continued to put anthony barr on wide receiver on cup um, yeah they, yeah you know, they put them on Cup. They put them on um, uh, Robert Woods. I mean, they were just like, this guy is not going to win pass coverage battles with these speedy wide receivers. Uh, it's, just, it's just not going to happen. And so that goes to coaching there. They were not finding a way to adjust what they were doing. I know that Sean is masterful and he's very creative, and they can give you all kinds of different looks and there are different rules. And so you got to switch out. Somebody's got to cover that guy, but – I mean, throw an extra safety in there and sometimes or something like that. And so, yeah, it's really remarkable that this defense, which was so good, has really struggled. They've given up, and some of these aren't even mismatches like that. Yesterday, the 56-yard catch and run by uh, Todd Gurley, a screen out of the backfield, that was the third 50-plus catch and run out of the backfield this season. And so each week – They've given up a big play like that when that's just, you know, linebackers covering running backs out the backfield. Um, and not everybody is a Hall of Famer, like future Hall of Famer looking like guy like Gurley. They just have some breakdowns that they've really got to take care of uh, if they want to continue to contend because Kirk Cousins and the offense put up points. Uh, but Without a running game, too. No running yeah. game either. You know, I, I, st- I talked about it at the beginning of this podcast. I said last night was a microcosm. It was, it was a near replica of what he's dealt with through the last three years. No running game, no defense. It's all on him. And, of course, everybody wants to say, well, no, the, the actual replica is no, no defense, no running game, puts up big numbers, and then blows it at the end, which, by the way, isn't true either. I mean, he's fourth in the last three years in, in fourth quarter comebacks. So I, I want to move over away from from Minnesota for a moment. Um, Do you agree with basically every other NFL observer that right now the Rams are basically a cut above the rest of the league? They really are. Um, And and somebody said this to me, and I thought it was a great analogy. They said they're like the Golden State Warriors of the NFL right now. (laughs) They can just score. And entertaining. And entertaining, and it doesn't matter who it is. You can't take all of this this away, um, you know, whether it's Cooper Cup, whether it's Brandon Cooks, whether it's Robert Woods, whether it's Todd Gurley. I mean, they have so many weapons, and Jared Goff is so comfortable in this offense, and Sean McVay does a phenomenal job of, I mean, you can watch from play to play how he's setting up something for the next play, and there's a misdirection here, and then later on you see, oh, well, that's what they were setting up. the last, You know, it, they are just, Um, Like you said, a cut above, and I know that their defense gave up 30 points last night, uh, but they just have such a nasty pass rush, and they they were able to to get off the field in some key situations at times, even though that their top cornerback, Keeb Tlaib, is um, sidelined recovering from surgery right now, but their pass rush with Aaron Donald and Mm. Dominican Sue, and just they can come at you 
with so many things that it's hard to combat at all. And so, yes, they look like, you know, they look like the team that is the favorite uh, to make it to the Super Bowl out of the NFC right now. What are your thoughts on the Redskins so far? Um, very interesting and very Redskin-like at the same time. I mean, the way that they come out and play great in that first week, and then it was like they were feeling themselves and looked so bad against um, the Colts. Although, you know, it wasn't until after that game that it made perfect sense that you have Frank Reich, who was the offensive coordinator of the Eagles, and his defensive coordinator was the linebackers coach with the Cowboys. So they know the Redskins, what they do offensive and defensively very well. Um, and so it, it made sense that they were able to give them, you know, problems, but you would have expected you wanted to see better effort. And then last week they bounced right back and and play very well and get a win against the, the Packers, even though, yes, I know Aaron Rodgers is hobbled, um, but still. Um, they were able to execute offensively and defensively like they needed to. So it's kind of the whole up and down that we've seen where Jay Gruden's teams really struggle to put quality games back to back. And so you're wondering, when are they going to get over the hump there? I think that their defense is obviously um, much improved. Look at them. They're up there with some of the top teams statistically. They're not giving up a lot of points. Um, they finally, that investment that they made in the front the last two years, getting Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, um, is paying off and that's helping them on the back end. And so I think the potential is there. I just, again, it all comes, what happens when Jordan Reed gets hurt or if Adrian Peterson, you know, gets hurt? Um, who is Aaron, I mean, is Alex Smith going to go to? Where is Josh Dotson? I mean, what is that kid doing? He didn't have a catch in the last game. Uh, yeah, um, he he, you know, he was it, only targeted it, once or twice. Yeah, it's yeah. it's the that whole thing. I you know it. There's always a chance, but at this point, I think we've seen enough to know that that really he he is not you know going to play to the level of a first round draft choice. That's that's not what yeah. they got. I thought that's what they were getting when they picked him. I was really bullish. On, on what Josh Doxson was in college and how it would translate to the NFL. And there's just something missing there. Something's not, not been right. No yeah. There. yeah, no doubt. There's not, I mean, you, I mean, and I'm in a lot of locker rooms now and I see and talk to a lot of wide receivers and there's the confidence there. There's, you know, even guys not saying like Terrell Owens flamboyant, but, there's just a little bit of a swagger, like you can tell these guys are gamers. I don't get that feeling from Josh Doxson. I don't even get the feeling that he really even loves to play that much. I know that he um, went back to TCU and he walked on. He earned a scholarship there. Um, you know, I know that he has, you know, worked through injuries and stuff, but he's healthy now, and you just don't feel the energy. Um, you don't feel the confidence that this is a guy who loves the game of football. And, and wants to go out there and make a difference. I mean, he, he could love football. Um, he could, but that hunger and that fire is not coming across. And so I, I think there are people within the organization that, that are, are frustrated now that this is, you know, another, this is a high um, draft pick that was supposed to be a building block and a key weapon, and they can't count on them. All right, let's look at some of the games this weekend. Just a couple of them real quickly, because I want thoughts real quickly on the games, but the teams, too. 
Um, the Giants basically, I think, for all intents and purposes, saved their season last week by winning at Houston. I think they're talented, Mike. I actually think the defense has talent, and if they can somehow keep Eli upright, they've got weapons offensively. Do you see them having a chance against the Saints and, and having an impact uh, as a potential playoff contender somewhere down the line this year? Yeah, I, I think that they're still figuring things out. Um, I think that all of us looked at their roster and said, okay, look, you've got Eli Manning, you've got Odell Beckham Jr., you've got some other nice pieces, and you pick up Saquon Barkley. They spent a lot of money on defense. Now you've got a smart offensive guy. They should get back on track. Boom, let's go. But it hasn't quite happened as quickly. They're still adjusting to Pat Shermer, and it's evident that Pat Shermer is still trying to figure out the best way to use his personnel. Um, they are not pounding the football with Saquon Barkley like he is built to be uh, used. They have not um, used the run game to help um, protect Eli Manning when he's got um, a patchwork offensive line that are still coming together. Um, you know, there are a lot of things you kind of scratch your head at, but then you see flashes and you think, okay, the Giants have started slow with a lot of these players before, and then they figure things out. So I'm not counting the Giants out. I think this past week was, was crucial for them uh, to get a victory. Yeah, I know it was Houston who has, has struggled, um, but Houston's kind of been in games. They just can't right. seal the deal. And so I think that, yeah, um, I, the Giants still have quality pieces to work with. Um, Eli Manning still has – um, more left in the tank, and he's better than some starters. I think that it's just a matter of them figuring things out. And so, I mean, we'll see. I think the Eagles are going to be, you know, continuing to, to ascend as Carson Wentz gets more comfortable, and the Giants and the Redskins uh, probably be might be duking that thing out there for second in the division, and the Cowboys look like they just don't have a clue. Yeah, they don't have anything offensively. Last one, I'll let you run. Um are either one of these two teams in trouble in your mind's eye from a, a playoff contention standpoint, the Patriots Steelers? Um, I, I don't think from a playoff standpoint, I think both of them are going to get figured out. Um, I, the Patriots now are more desperate um, situation than what I anticipated. They really need this Josh Gordon thing to work out and they'll get some help when Julian Edelman gets back, but it's clear that they've got no talent on offense outside of Rob Gronkowski. Um, we'll see what Sonny Michelle, um, now the rookie running back, as he gets involved in the game plan now, the Rex Burkhead is out. But I think that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, they've done this so long, they're going to find a way. Now, are they going to have enough to be able to um, make a deep playoff run? Can, do they have enough to be able to match, with, match um, firepower with the Chiefs? I don't know. Um, I'd be worried there. The same thing with the Steelers. They've got dysfunction and things like that. But that win for them on Thursday, on Monday night was big. And they have, you know, James Conner is not Le'Veon Bell, but he is. He's uh, a good back. He's serviceable enough. Yes. Several scouts have told me he's an above average starter in the NFL. So they can work with that there. And so I think that I'd be a little bit less worried about them making a playoff run than I would the Patriots. Um, but again, we'll see what, what kind of firepower they have. Um, we saw that, you know, they didn't have an answer 
they, they, you know, had to try to rally to come back and fell short against the Chiefs. Um, but I think, yeah, in the AFC, everybody's going to be trying to keep up with them because they just have so many weapons. Um, and Patrick Mahomes is playing so phenomenally uh, that the, they're probably sweating it just a little bit there, the, the Steelers and the Patriots, but I do think that they'll still make the postseason. Yeah, I think Sunday night's game is a huge early season game in the AFC North because the Ravens could really make a statement uh, by going in there and beating Pittsburgh. Um, real quickly, I lied. I've got one more for you. No roughing the passer penalties last night in the Thursday night mm-hmm. game. Troy Vincent in the league um, essentially said, uh, and this is tr- a true paraphrase, but in, in the way I read it is – they're, they're going to take a bit of a step back from all of these rougher roughing the passer penalties of the first three weeks. How do you think that uh, the, the league sort of announcing that this is going to be sort of, uh, you know, applied differently, how will that manifest itself on, on Sundays and on game days? Well, I mean, I think that it's you know, just like we saw the ridiculous leading with the head penalties throughout the preseason, and then they scaled things back and kind of like, readjusted their approach um and then now you know they wanted to dig in and say hey we're not going to change anything with this roughing the passer call but they definitely are backing off just a little bit so i think that the confusion and uh, the frustrations will start to simmer a little bit yes if a guy blatantly falls with his body weight on a quarterback it'll still draw foul uh but last night aaron donald went in there for a sack yeah um threw him to the ground yeah, threw him to the ground. He pretty much had a lot of his body weight on there, but he bounced up very quickly yep. off of Cousins, and there wasn't a foul there. So I think that everybody is starting to make adjustments. The players will, and so will the officials, um, you know, because it, it's needed uh, that they adjusted and tweaked this thing just a little bit for credibility's sake. And just for, you know, you're trying to protect the quarterback because they're the most important and highest paid position on the field. But your second most important position are your pass rushers. And so you got to be fair to them, too. Um, and so I think that they're getting this right by just adjusting this a little bit. And that's what guys like Ryan Kerrigan, he said to me, I understand the letter of the law, but they need to make some kind of adjustment with how they're calling it. And so it sounds like that's what they're doing. And I think players will be uh, more happy with that setup. At by Mike Jones on Twitter, he writes for USA Today. Uh, he's always been great um, at what he does, and, and and a friend of of the shows I've been involved with. So I appreciate you coming on this show as well. I, I think I'll see you next week when you're in town. Yep, sounds good, Kevin. Thanks for having me, man. All right, Mike. Thanks so much, Mike Jones. Everybody, uh, I want to tell you about Launch Workplaces. I'm moving into a new studio next week. Uh, We're still going to use Tony's studio like today from time to time here at Chatter. Um, But we want to get the podcast out a little bit earlier. I want to get it done earlier. If you live in the Bethesda Chevy Chase Upper Northwest D.C. area and you don't want a long commute and it's too hard to get work done from home, check out the new Launch Workplaces in Bethesda. They have flexible and affordable private office solutions so you can get work done. It's a beautiful new space that provides fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks with high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, a cafe, and 24-hour, seven-day-a-week free parking. Get more work done today by moving your office to Launch Workplaces. 
Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial and tell them that I told you to call. Here's the number, 240-800-6714, or you can go to launchworkplaces.com. That's 240-800-6714 or launchworkplaces.com. The smell test coming up. Let's get to Friday football quick picks. Everything you need to know for your football weekend. It's Friday football quick picks. All right, the best games of the weekend, and there are some good ones. Tomorrow, Penn State, Ohio State, in-state college. I'm going to be there. Uh, I have heard, and if you have been listening to the whole show today, Trevor Maddich was on with us and said that the energy for a big game at Penn State at night is like none other. I've heard it's phenomenal. Now, I got a chance to go to Bama LSU in Death Valley in Baton Rouge. That was off the charts. Um, but I can't wait to see this tomorrow night. Um, and this is a real, this is a huge early season Big Ten matchup that will determine potentially the Big Ten East champion and potentially a playoff spot uh, in in January. Uh, I think Penn State's got a real good chance. More on that coming up in the smell test. Stanford off of that miracle win at Oregon is at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's switched quarterbacks. They put up a lot of offense against a pretty good Wake Forest team last week. I really like Notre Dame's chances to stay unbeaten uh, with a win tomorrow night against Stanford. NFL Sunday, Bengals-Falcons is a pretty good game. Pats-Dolphins is an important game. Imagine the Dolphins going to Foxborough and win, and they're 4-0 and New England's 1-3. Three Three games up, no matter what the talent is, that's hard to overcome. And I would would doubt that New England in the Brady-Belichick era have ever been three games out in in the AFC East. I don't think that they have been ever, except for the year in 2002 when they didn't make the playoffs. Um, but I can't remember the difference in, in games that year. You know, the other year they didn't make the postseason with Matt Castle. They were 11-5. and five. Right, they were right there the whole time. Um, the Ravens-Steelers on Sunday night is a renewal of what I think really is the best rivalry in the NFL of, of the last decade or so. It's a huge game because I, I if you've been listening to this podcast since the start of the season – I'm a Ravens believer. I believe in this team. I believe in their defensive talent. I believe in Joe Flacco having a healthy offseason with weapons this year. Um, and this could give the Ravens a real jump on the Steelers in the AFC North. Now, Cincinnati's got a big game as well you know, in Atlanta. Um, but if, if Baltimore were to go into Pittsburgh Sunday night into Heinz Field and win that game, and they're 3-1 and one, and Pittsburgh is 1-2-1, one, you know, you are now looking at, I think, the front runner to win the AFC North. You know, Baltimore came from the back of the pack last year and made a run at a playoff berth and had it right there on their racket, fourth and 17 against the Bengals in the final game of the year. And, and Dalton throws, you know, a prayer touchdown pass to knock Baltimore out. Um, this is a real, this, this matchup to me is always one of the best matchups of the NFL season, the two games between Pittsburgh and Baltimore. I love how you can always count. The line is always going to be the home team by three, no matter what happens between these two teams. It's true. It seems to always be sort of that short line. Monday night game, which we'll have more on on Monday, is a good one because you get to see Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in Denver against Von Miller in that defense uh, against uh, the Broncos. That is a good one. Let me give you a couple of teams that I'm very interested in watching this weekend. And I'm going to start with a game tomorrow. How good is West Virginia? 
The, the one game that may have told us something to this point was canceled due to Hurricane Florence. They had a game at NC State in Raleigh, but that game was canceled. I don't think it's been rescheduled either. Tomorrow they're in Lubbock to face Texas Tech. Texas Tech coming off a beatdown of Oklahoma State last, last week in Stillwater. They can score. They can really score, Texas Tech can. And Will Greer for West Virginia is already thrown for 1,100-plus yards, 14 touchdowns three uh, in three games. I think two picks, 14 touchdowns in three games. They destroyed Kansas State last week uh, in, in, a, in a game uh, at K-State. This is going to tell a lot on, on what West Virginia is. And if they were to win this game... They've got smooth sailing until November, where they would enter November as a 7-0 type team and a true Big 12 contender and a playoff contender as well. I think we're going to learn a lot about West Virginia. We may learn a lot about Texas Tech. They've got a quarterback in Allen Bowman that in four games has thrown for 1,600-plus yards. Typical Big 12 stuff. Um, West Virginia is a a 3.5-point favorite in this game. The total is 73. Big game. For the Mountaineers, they're ranked 12th, and a win down there uh, would be a really good win. I'm interested in seeing what they look like tomorrow. I'm interested in seeing the Dolphins this week at New England, and I'm interested in seeing the Giants this week. The Saints are a great offensive team, not so much on defense right now. I think the Giants can win this game Sunday, late Sunday in the Meadowlands. Now, we don't want it to happen as Redskin fans, but I think they can. The Saints may be a, a, a bit in letdown mode after that overtime win in Atlanta. The Giants saved their season last week. They're talented. I'm telling you, the Giants have talent. And I think this could be one of those games that is an upset possibility on Sunday. And that, that brings me to who's on upset alert. I think Ohio State and New Orleans, those are the two right now that are on upset alert. All right, let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell smell test. test. That's a smell test. Uh, It's a total 100% contrarian handicapping philosophy. When my friends are all convinced that Vegas is aired with a point spread and they're going to win all this money, I just go against them. And I've been doing that for years It's more than just that. It is public money and going against public money, but it's also a public money game where sharp action is on the other side. I love those matchups. I've got offshore sources and have had them over the years. I'm not going to tell you why, but I, I have a lot of people who are close to me in my life that have been involved in in uh, offshore operations for t- uh, now two decades plus. Um, so I get a lot of information from them. And I, I just basically have created this smell test over 12 years, eight winning seasons, four losing seasons. Last week it was 9-3-1. and one. I gave out 13 games last week, went 9-3-1, and one, and 4-0 and oh on Sunday in the NFL where I had a, a team that I told you was going to be painful to, to, to play. Even even getting all those points, I said they, they've looked horrible, but play the Bills. I guaranteed the Redskins last week as a winner as well, as an outright winner. The smell test on the season is 18-14-1 now, so maybe a little forward momentum after a tough first week, which set us back a little bit. Let's start with tonight. UCLA is 0-3 under Chip Kelly, and they're at Colorado, who is 3-0. Colorado's laying less than 10. They're laying 9.5, and the number has just stayed there. And the public is pounding 
pounding the Buffaloes at home tonight against a UCLA team that's looked totally inept. Give me the Bruins plus the nine and a half. Let's go to let's go to Saturday. Army last week nearly beat Oklahoma in Norman outright as a thirty point dog. They had it on their racket in field goal range in the final minute of the game with the score tied at 21-21. They threw an interception. The game went to overtime. They lost the game, but the effort was incredible. This weekend, they are at Buffalo. Buffalo is 4-0. Buffalo is a seven-point favorite in this game, and the public loves what they saw from the cadets last week. And they're playing Army at a 71 to 29% ratio right now offshore. Give me Buffalo laying the seven. They're going to smoke Army tomorrow. Let's get to the next one uh, where Clemson is a 25 point favorite over Syracuse, starting Trevor Lawrence for the first time. Trevor Lawrence is a six, six foot six inch freshman quarterback. Aaron, he was the number one prospect last year, right? Yep. Um, And he has been tabbed now as the starter over Kelly Bryant moving forward, and Bryant's going to transfer. Bryant's gone. That was wild. Syracuse has started off 4-0, all right? And Clemson's laying 25 against a 4-0 team. The public wants to take the dog here. They're taking the dog here, but they're sharp money on Clemson, which has moved the line from like 19 or 20 all the way up to 25. Give me Clemson and lay the 25 points. Tomorrow night in State College, where I will be, Penn State is getting three and a half at home against Ohio State. The public loves the Buckeyes. Give me Penn State. I don't know how they do it. They're going to have to score a lot of points, is my guess. But give me Penn State plus the three and a half. Uh, Nebraska. Aaron, they haven't won a game yet, have they? With Scott Frost. Scott Frost already catching a lot of heat. Guess what? They're going to win tomorrow. They're catching three and a half at home against a Purdue team that upset Boston College last week. The public loves the Boilers. Give me Nebraska plus the three and a half. I think they're going to win the game outright. Uh, I can't explain this one. I can just only tell you that the public loves New Mexico laying seven against Liberty. Give me Liberty plus seven. And Ole Miss is just ten and a half. Uh, at LSU, keep in mind, they were a 22-point underdog at home against Bama and got crushed. Why are they only catching 10.5 at LSU? Give me Ole Miss plus the 10.5 at LSU. I like Notre Dame tomorrow night laying six against Stanford, and I like Utah laying two at Washington. Both of those sides are big anti-public plays. Sunday, I'm giving a lot of games out. All right, I feel it this week. Sunday, give me Houston, who is winless and catching just one at Indianapolis. All right. Give me the Giants plus four at home against the Saints. Give me the Cardinals plus three against the Seahawks. And give me the Ravens plus three against the Steelers. Those are the big anti-public NFL plays. Houston, the Giants, Arizona, and the Ravens. I just ripped through a lot of games. I'll recap them for you real quickly. Tonight, Col- uh, I like UCLA plus nine and a half. Buy the half point, get it to 10. Saturday, I like Buffalo minus seven. Clemson minus 25. Uh, I like Nebraska plus three and a half. Penn State plus three and a half. Liberty plus seven. Utah minus two. Ole Miss plus 10 and a half. And Notre Dame minus six. On Sunday, 
I like the Texans, the Cardinals, the Giants, and the Ravens. That's a big smell test this week. I didn't even count it up. I have no idea how many games that That, that, that was that quite is. a few. And anytime you have Liberty on that card, you know uh, Don't it's ask a wild me to explain weekend. it. I just gave you the biggest anti-public plays with some sharp money backing up my, uh, my opinion as well in these games. Uh, the house will need the sides that I gave you. That's always a good position to be in. Let's bring in Andy. Uh, Andy's going to join me every Friday uh, during the football season, and he'll do some sort of historical thing, Redskins-related usually. It's a, it's a bye week. It's an early bye week, Andy. And then they've got a Monday night game following the bye week. How many times has that happened, and then what happened when it happened? Well, 1990 was the first year, you know, they had the buy. So we've only had buys since then. 1993, they experimented with two buys. I talked about and- that earlier in the show. And yeah. no, and, and, and I guarantee you that very few people remember the one-two-by season. Yeah, that was the Richie Pettibone year, and right. those were both followed by Monday night games, which they lost to Hall of Fame quarterbacks Dan Marino with the uh, Dolphins and uh, Jim Kelly and the Buffalo Bills. All right, now I'm going to give you a good Monday night game after a bye and a bad one. Good goes back to November 20th, 2000, when they won at St. Louis 33-20. to Backstory on that, just before the bye, they had lost to Arizona. Chris Hefner missed an extra point and was cut. They signed Chris their Hefner. fourth and fifth kickers of the year yeah. that, that, that week, Eddie Murray and uh, Scott Bentley. Uh, Bentley to kick off, 44-year-old Eddie Murray to kick field goals. He kicked four of them in this game, but the big story was Kurt Warner didn't play and also Brad Johnson didn't play. So it was Jeff George against Trent Green. George threw for three, 269 yards and three touchdowns and – Green was sacked six times, three times by Bruce Smith. Redskins got the seven and four. Dan Snyder was over the moon. His quarterback, Jeff George, who he'd signed, had come through. His free agent defensive end, Bruce Smith, had come through. And he was now seven and four. And I'm told by two players who are in the locker room that he went in and said, hey, that's a great win. Take the next two days off. And North Turner said, "Ah, Dan, it's a Monday night game. We have to practice on Wednesday. We have a game next week. Uh, Here's the bad one goes back to November 15, 2010. Again, the backstory. Two weeks before in Detroit, they're up, they're down 31-25 with 150 left to go. Terminology Donovan and Mc- conditioning. Here it comes. Yep. Yep. Donovan McNabb is benched with a winnable game. Rex Grossman comes in. Dominican Sue strips him, takes the ball into the end zone. Game over. Then there's a whole week of you know, what you just said about whether or not McNabb was in shape, is, is Shanahan a racist, yada, yada, yada. So here's Donovan McNabb dangling out there. And hours before the Monday night game, they sign him to a long-term contract, which his agent, Jimmy Sexton, says $79 million, $40 million guaranteed. In fact, it was $3 million guaranteed. And they thought that with the new contract, the fans would get behind McNabb. It would be a wild atmosphere. They'd beat Philadelphia. 15 seconds into the game, Deshaun Jackson catches a touchdown pass of like 80 yards, which looks like he's fielding a punt. That's how wide open he is. They go on to just absolutely crush the Redskins. It's 45-14 at the half, 59-21 with still five minutes left in the third quarter, final 59-28. to They're 4-5 and on the year, and people are saying, you signed Donovan McNabb to an extension for this? The guy who really made out was Michael Vick, who had a big game. Listen to these numbers for Vick. 333 yards passing, four touchdowns on only 20 attempts. The Eagles had 260 yards rushing, 
592 total yards. I love both of those nights. That's the Monday Night Massacre game, um, which everybody yeah. remembers. And the Jeff George game, you know, was the beginning. You're right. The owner who wanted Jeff George um, and you wanted him in there in front of Brad Johnson, which was a massive mistake. That was probably Jeff George's, George's best game, that Monday mm-hmm. Night game you know, in St. Louis against, you know, the greatest show on turf at that, at that point. But remember right. that it was the next few weeks, um, I, maybe a week or two later, where Norv sent Eddie Murray into the game to kick a field goal that he told Norv he could not kick. He said, I can't kick yeah. it that far, far. And Norv said, get out there and try it, <laughs> try it anyway. And I think they <laughs> lost to the Giants 9-7. to seven. And that yeah. started the you know the complete falling apart. Norv got well, they, fired. Again, they get the seven and four when they beat the Rams, so they lose the yeah. following week. And the game you're talking about is the week after that. They're still seven and six, and in the playoff, yeah. Run, Norv gets fired. They think Terry Rubinsky can ride. Rubinsky can't do it. Yeah, Rubinsky yeah. as Dion called him. Um, exactly. Yeah. Great times. Great memories. Nobody does it better <laughs> than you and you and me together. Just yes, just sir. going through all of all of the uh, all of all of the history. Sometimes it's good history, and you know Jeff George played great that that night. He did, but they didn't yeah. have to face yeah, Kurt I mean, Warner. It, it, it looked like for Snyder in front of the nation that right. what he had done had worked going forward in 2000, right? I don't remember what Dion did in the game, but two of the three big free agents had come through, Jeff George and Bruce Smith with the three sacks. Yep, uh, that was was quite a season because really when you think about it, Andy, since the last time they won the Super Bowl in the 1991 season, the 2000 season was the season with the most expectations for a Redskins team since the 91 season. Is there? I, I can't think of one where they were actually among the two or three favorites to win the Super Bowl, which they were before the 2000 season. I yeah, think- I, I would think so. And, and I would even think off all the excitement of RG3 in 2012, that in 2013, while nobody could have seen, you know, how awful it was going to become, I still don't think people were thinking they were in the Super Bowl mix as great as RG3 was as a rookie. Right. Well, especially coming off the injury, the, the, the 2013 yeah. expectation, the 2000 team with everything they did in free agency, the fantasy football year in free agency, the Redskins were picked by many to win the Super Bowl in 2000. And yeah. it, it turned, yeah, and, and and that's the only time that's really happened since '91, unless well, it was unless it was '92 as the defending champs, and they were certainly nah, because because '92 you know, was an older team, and 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 they had injuries, and and you know all that. I'm but just talking about was, what the expectation was before oh, the yeah, season. Yeah, but I remember doing shows with Zabe out at Redskin Park, and we would have these guys on like Bruce Smith and Jeff George, and we were talking about it like it was a Woodstock. Hey, this is a happening here. You come to join <laughs> in and. You know, and I was told by Brian Billick before the season, eh, watch out. This this has disaster written all over it. And it did. And it did. did. Um, All right. Well, we got a bye week. Uh, You'll be back with me next Friday. um, And uh, we'll talk then. Have a great weekend. Thanks. We'll do the uh, we'll do the best game between the Saints and the Redskins, and that was the RG three debut. Shock and awe. Have a good Shock weekend. and awe, as somebody dubbed it, uh, going into the game. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Um, thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Andy. Thanks to Trevor Maddich, and thanks to Mike Jones, all of whom joined us today on the podcast. Thanks to Window Nation, our presenting sponsor. No Redskin game this weekend, but some really good football all weekend long. I'll be back on Monday to recap it. Uh, on uh, on Monday, uh, hopefully a little bit earlier. Again, apologies for getting it out so late today.